and happy Friday. Welcome to Food Network Obsessed, the podcast where we dive into all things Food Network and have conversations with your favorite Food Network stars. My guest today is on a self-proclaimed mission to spread love through food and tell a unique story one dish at a time. She is based in Charleston, South Carolina, and her specialty is whipping up comfort food. She is also the creator of the New Gullah Supper Club, and you probably know her as the host of Food Network's Delicious Miss Brown. She's also made appearances on Farmhouse Rules, Chop Jr., and Beat Bobby Flay, just to name a few. She is the lovely Cartier Brown. Cartier, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Uh, Well, we are excited to have you. And I feel like we're going to have some fun today because um, I read that in high school, you were actually voted class clown and most likely to be heard in the hallway. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious, what superlative would you be voted on a Food Network set? The same superlative. The same. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear me, and I am always doing something silly, funny. So, yeah, the same superlative, same me. (laughs) All right. Well, I I love to hear that uh, you're the same person that that anybody knew back in high school and the the same person we see on television because uh, you do light up a screen and love watching you on your Food Network show, Delicious Miss Brown. We're definitely going to be chatting about that a a little bit later on, but I want to talk about your journey um, to television because it's a little unconventional and um, you know I know you grew up in Charleston South Carolina which uh, I hear is one of the most beautiful cities in the world unfortunately I have not been there yet it's very high on my list Um, and I know it's very deeply rooted and influenced by the Gullah culture and people which is very important to you so for those who aren't familiar what does it mean to you to be Gullah? For me, it means, you know, being of West African descent. Um, We are the only group of African-Americans in uh, the U.S. to have held on very closely to um, our West African roots, the culture, the food, the language. Um, So it means a lot to have that part of of me and, and, and express that part of me through my food. So, you know, being a small percentage of, of Gullah people in the U.S., I mean, it just, it means a lot, you know, and, and it's the reason why I do what I do today. <laughs> and, and can you just expand a little bit more about how that history really just influences every almost everything we see you doing in the kitchen? Yes. So, um, you know, when I growing up being Gullah, I really didn't know the significance of of being of Gullah Geechee descent. It wasn't until I moved to New Jersey and actually a little bit before that, when I was in college um, in Atlanta, when I met someone from Sierra Leone and this older woman, she had to be in her 80s. And she told me the significance of where I was from. And she said, do you know that where I'm from and where you're from, we're, we're connected. And I didn't I'm like, I, what do you mean? I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. You're from Sierra Leone. How? And she was like, no, you know, your ancestors are my people, your your, your family and your your history and and your ancestors are from Sierra Leone, from the West African coast. And I, until she mentioned that, I really didn't know that. I knew that, you know, where I was from, we had a funny way of, of talking. I knew that it was just a little different. The things that we ate was just a little different than what my friends that were from other places in the U.S. where we're from. And so moving to New Jersey a little later on um, to pursue my graduate degree, I met more people that were just completely fascinated with me being of Gullah background. 
So I did more research and I started kind of delving into what it meant to be Gullah other than having this funny accent and eating red rice. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so what does it mean to be of Gullah Geechee descent and how strong and, and, and how, um, you know, what was the significance of having West African roots? And then after I did my research and I realized how... I mean, just amazing my ancestors were from the knowledge they had about um, growing the the crop rice. And that's actually why they were brought over to um, the U.S., because they had this vast knowledge of cropping the grain rice and and just the things that they did, how they survived, how they made, you know, significant meals out of little to nothing, you know, giving the scraps from giving the scraps from, you know, their their slave owners or whatever have you and 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 making beautiful meals out of that so knowing that and then cooking the way that I do today it just it 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 gives me my foundation of of the reason why I cook and how I cook so it makes sense it ties everything together you know this is why my grandmother cooked the way that she did and this is why I cook the way that I do so yeah hopefully I answered your question (laughs) no you did I did I it's, it's very fascinating to me as well and um and, and it seems like that you've kind of taken all of those things that you just talked about and kind of wrapped those into, um, you know, an event that you, you started called the, the New Gullah Supper Club, honoring these traditional meals that were passed down to you from your mother and your grandmother. So if, if somebody was to be a guest at one of these supper clubs, what would they expect? A good time and good food. <laughs> That's the most important yes. thing, right? Good time and good food. Good food. Um, the, what's so, so fun about my supper club, because I, I didn't invent the supper club supper clubs have been around for for years and um the reason i decided to do the supper club and and the reason why i decided to to do it gullah style is because of course there's millions of supper clubs or thousands of supper clubs around but you really can't taste gullah food unless you go to the low country and i thought because i love to travel and because i i'm from this distinct and unique place why not create a supper club that could um, put those things together and people wouldn't have to go to Charleston, South Carolina to necessarily try this type of food. Why not bring it to different homes across the U.S., get a taste of Gullah and then um, also learn history. So when I first started the Gullah Supper Club, the new, the new Gullah Supper Club, and I call it the new Gullah Supper Club because it's my spin on my grandmother's you know, recipes and my mother's recipes and my great grandmother's recipes. So when when people come there, they're expecting to not only get good food, but the story, uh, a history lesson. So it's it's those two things intertwined. It's good food and a history lesson. And you can you can hear in your voice just how how proud you are of that history and being able to kind of bring that to life in your own way. What does it mean to you being able to keep those traditions alive and kind of pass them on to the next generation? It means a lot, um, because if you've watched different programs about Gullah people and and the culture, you'll always hear that it's a dying culture. And. I'm like, no, it's not. You know, I'm the reason. And and there's other chefs and people in Charleston and and beyond Charleston that are trying to keep this this culture alive. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's for me, that's incredible to have this platform and then to have this thing, you know, the supper club to hold on to that history and not not keep it in that same realm of it being a dying culture because it isn't. You know, we're very much doing our part to keep it alive. 
I think that's so cool. And it is also a very big reason why you are doing what you're doing right now on Food Network. Um, And it kind of came from an interesting place because you have a degree in psychology, (laughs) a long career in social work before kind of making this career shift. So how did you go from social work to now hosting a cooking show? (laughs) Um, Until this day, I really am like, I look back and say, how in the world did I fall into this? And I get those questions all the time. I get DMs, I get emails about it. Like, how in the world did you make this transition? And it it actually happened. um, I was dating a guy in New Jersey at the time. Um, We're still friends. And... (laughs) Uh, in 2014, um, my boyfriend recorded me uh, just cooking in the kitchen and talking. We're joking, laughing like we, we always did. And um, a few weeks later, I got a call um, from a production company saying that they were um, very interested in in having me on a pilot of a show. And I'm like, how? How did you get my information? Who are you? Is this a joke? (laughs) (laughs) And um, they said, no, no, no. Your boyfriend sent us in a a video of you chatting and hanging out in the kitchen. And we think you would be perfect for this this show. Um, So long story short, uh, they came. And I was living in New Jersey at the time because I was uh, going to grad school and working. And... um, they came to New Jersey, they did a three day shoot and the show came out just that first episode of the show and um, it didn't get picked up by the network, but the network saw something in me that were they were like, well, wow, who's this girl? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> in the middle of the shoot, they're like, you know, we sent it back to um, the execs. They love you and they are just interested in kind of trying to like, you know, get you on TV if you're interested. And I'm like, um... Uh, I have a cubicle at Big Brothers Big Sisters that I need to return to, and I have I have clients that I need to work with. I don't I don't know if I can do that, um, but I thought about it, and I was like, during this three day shoot, I had never had so much fun in my life. Hmm. Nothing felt right except that. Um, even working in social work, it was a very, um, very rewarding career. But, you know, anybody that works in social work, or if you know someone that works in social work, it is taxing. It is tiring. It's hard work. But, you know, someone's got to do it. And I was doing it. And I said, you know what? I don't know if I can continue to do this, but I really love the way I felt on set cooking and just having fun and being myself. So. Fast forward, I, you know, the network, Food Network started to incubate me here and there. I would go on shows and my, the producers that worked with me on that show decided to like, you know, pitch me as a, as a talent. And they kept pitching me. They, the network's like, Hey, you know, we love you, but we think you need a little bit more time. You're still kind of green. And, um, I just kept working at it. And that's when I started the new Gala supper club to get kind of honing on my skills and cook a little bit more and travel and just, um, do that. So anyway, it took about it. I got the first meeting with the, uh, with food networks was in 2015 and I didn't get the green light for Delicious Miss Brown until 2000, late 2018, 2019. So it took about four years. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That, I mean, that's I mean, I think that's a great um, story just, you know, to inspire others to, you know, if, they're, if you're kind of maybe thinking about doing a career change or you're frustrated that it's not happening as quickly as you would like, um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's kind of in that same situation? 
I, I would say that if anything that is meant for you, it will happen. It may not happen exactly when you think it should happen, but it's going to happen when it should happen. And just to hold on, if you really love what you do, regardless if it's going to be on TV or radio or whatever you want to do, it's going to happen and you'll do it anyway. Um, so if the stars align and you want to, you know, have this, this show, it'll happen. Um, just hold on. I, I mean, I, I can't speak on persistence enough. You know, you got to keep knocking on those doors. I mean, darn it. One of those doors has to open. And if it doesn't open, you create your own, you know, so just, just keep doing it. Keep, keep at it. And, and do, did you send a thank you note to your ex-boyfriend for like getting all this started? <laughs> you know, he still follows me on social media and we still kind of talk and he's like, I just can't believe it. I'm like, you know what? I do all, all of this to you. And he's like, yeah, just remember that when you hit your first million. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great because I read this story, you know, about how you've, you know, went from, you know, where you were to where you are now. And I always assumed that the video that he sent in that you were kind of, you know, playing along with, but he, he just kind of filmed you and, and didn't tell you and just like submitted this all on his own. All on his own. Because, I mean, he always said that I had this this personality that would be great for television. And I was always I was so scared to do anything outside of of my norm. I'm, I'm just the type of person that I don't like change unless I'm pushed into it. And so, you know, me having fun, like I really liked participating on social media. So me thinking that this is going on Instagram, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I can, sh I've always been like going back to high school. I've always been that class clown center of attention. I like, you know, having fun. And so, you know, thinking about it, yeah, going on social media, that's fine. But had I known that he was going to send it, to a network or something, I would have probably freaked out and told him not to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing that uh, he just uh, went with his gut and, and did it anyways. And it obviously paid off because, you know, as you mentioned, it took a little bit longer than you would have liked. But here you are uh, on Food Network with Delicious Miss Brown. And tell us a little bit about the show, how the idea for it came about and, you know, why, why you love the concept so much. So Delicious Miss Brown is, is just a glimpse into my life in the low country and my family and my friends and, and everything that makes up, you know, everything that's involved in Miss Brown, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, um, we thought about, you know, when I, the producers that I, I work with now, we, we've had a long relationship since, you know, 2015 or 14. And, um, you know, we always knew from the beginning if there was going to be a show um, for me, it would be my real life um, because it's interesting. You know, where I'm from, you can't duplicate or replicate um, the low country, the scenery, the backdrop, my family, my history. So it would it, it only made sense to do a show about my life and where I'm from and the people that are involved in my day to day life. So it's fun. You know, people have seen my my crazy aunt TC, who is just as loud and rambunctious and my mom and my grandmother and my nieces and nephews. I have a really large family. I mean, my grandmother had 13 uh, siblings. So, wow. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it just only made sense to do a show that was, you know, centered around, you know, food and family and, and the life in the low country. Uh, yeah. And I, I love that it is, you know, uh, 
something that features the, the low country cooking because I, I can't think of a, another show that really highlights it in the way that you do. And, and as you mentioned, you're able to, you know, bring your family and bring just you into this show and kind of share it with the the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you also reveal a lot of history behind some of these recipes. And, and we kind of touched on this earlier talking about the Supper Club, but why is that important to you to not only share the recipes, but the history behind them? Because I believe that um, American history, the the fabric of American culture and food, especially Southern food, is directly related to Gullah people and the way that we cooked. We, I believe we introduced a lot of these things um, into American cuisine, like, you know, um, not only your your fried fun things like fried chicken and, and things like that, but those one pot dishes, the stews, um, the things that you find on uh, restaurant menus today as, you know, like a delicacy, like this is something that we've always cooked, like shrimp and grits. That's the reason why it's, it's on menus across America. And, you know, you're going to pay $20, $25 for this dish. And, you know, my grandmother made shrimp and grits with, I mean, literally under $10. I mean, a pound of shrimp in, in Charleston is like two ninety nine or something like that. What? Yes. Insane. Big large shrimp. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's important to let people know because I think you don't understand really where you are today without looking um, back at the past and where you came from. So, it, to me, it's it's only right to intertwine those things, your past with your present. I love that. And I, I love hearing behind the scenes stuff as well. So I do want to ask you kind of a, a little bit about that, because you go from hosting a supper club basically on your own to having this full blown like television production essentially move into your house, I would imagine. What what is that process like? Um, it's odd. <laughs> it is very odd to have. I mean, because we are actually in a real house and having it's kind of like you don't privacy doesn't necessarily exist in this realm, you know, because you, you really do have to open your doors to people. And luckily, the people that I open my my doors to are people that I've known for years and we're all like family. So, I mean, it is just a family. It feels like just a family with cameras <laughs> and having a whole culinary team and and a back kitchen that we have outside and you know so it's it's a little odd going from basically running um, an entire show by myself to having a wonderful team that that makes you know delicious Miss Brown what it is today because I mean if I if I had to do it you know actually I had to do a lot of it on my own in the summertime when we were going through um, you know doing things at home and I was like oh I missed the team I can't do this I'm like I'm a dishwasher I am the host I am also the culinary team I am the producer like it was a lot tell, tell me more about the back kitchen because this is something you know I think is super interesting I feel like other listeners might might feel the same way and how does that work when it's in your house though like where are they setting up this back kitchen and and who's working there and and how you know like give us a scoop like what's going on on a on a a behind the scenes like daily production of delicious miss brown there's a tent outside (laughs) there's a tent (laughs) it's a makeshift tent before it was in the garage um now there's a tent um it's a really nice tent um (laughs) the great thing (laughs) the great thing about it is that we have really great weather here in the low country it's it's seasonably warm year round we have you know the stoves and things because people don't realize sometimes when they watch the show it's not just the magic of television that oh there's a new product out here there's a new plate you know there's there's no but in actuality there is a team of people um in the background making 
endless amounts of the same thing. You know, if you see that that one chicken, you know, that whole chicken that's been, you know, baked or something, there's about five of those um, in the back kitchen. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, you know, my, my team is really great. I, I have about three girls in the back kitchen that have been working with since season one. Um, they We work really well together. A lot of times what you do see on te- television is what I have prepared. Um, but when it's like time for beauties and things like that, it's when the the back kitchen really revs it up and, and gets those things out. Is there something um, that people listening might find interesting just about, I guess, the process of creating the recipes or coming up with the recipes or even just the theme of each episode? Yes. So the theme of each episode, we try to have, uh, always incorporate family and friends. So it's really the th- I like to base the the menu off who I know is coming. Um, so like, let's say my mom is there. My mom is a big seafood lover. So I make sure that the menu is you know, kind of uh, centered around what she likes to eat or if it's a birthday or if it's a baby shower or something like that. So the the menu has to go along with the theme of that episode for for that, you know, for that that day. Um, And yeah, I really do pay attention to whoever's coming, their favorites or things like that. And just, you know, things that I think that people would would want to see. And and the great thing, the thing I can say about myself is that um, People like the type of food that I cook because it's so relatable. It's you can go to your pantry after watching the show and you more than likely will have everything in your pantry or your fridge from whatever I just cooked. And I love that you brought up the family again because it is such a huge part of the show and it's obviously so important to you. I, I know you have three sisters and they, they make appearances on the show. You can tell by your interactions just like how close you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's that like? I mean, you get, you're, you're doing something you love, which is cooking and entertaining people and you get to do it with your family. It's a dream come true um, to have my family included in everything that I do um, because we are such a tight knit family so to have them there too so it's like it's like I get to share (laughs) I get to share this this um this dream with everyone you know because they they did have a lot to do with me being able to do what I do today because not a lot of people know that there was a lot of sacrifices that had to come along with with doing something like for television giving up my career in social work took it took time. It took help. You know, it took a village. My mom, my my aunts, my grandmother, my sisters, my sisters have helped me at the supper club as waitresses, you know. So being able to now have that, you know, reaping the fruits of my labor with my family means everything to me. And I know your grandma is such an important figure in your life. You, you've mentioned her a few times just with the history and the recipes. Uh, I'm curious what she thinks about all of this. <laughs> she called me this past Sunday uh, right after the episode uh, aired. And she said, you know, you know, just I am just floored. And I was like, what what happened? Did I do something wrong? She's like, no, it's just the way that you talk about your food and just seeing you on television and just how you articulate these things. She's like, I know I taught you how to cook. And she said in her gullah accent, I know I taught you how to cook, but I ain't teach you all of that. (laughs) I was like, you did, Grandma. You taught me, you know, you, you gave me the foundation. And I just, you know, myself just, I taught myself a lot of things and, and I guess some people may or may not know that I am completely self-taught I did not go to culinary school it was just learning 
you know, being in my grandmother's kitchen and my mom's kitchen and just uh, being around other chefs and just watching and, and, and just working tirelessly on my craft is how, you know, I, I got to where I am today. And, and she's completely still, you know, she's just still in awe. I think she's still in shock that this is, this is my life now. I, I think you did go to culinary school. It sounds like this culinary <laughs> school that you went to growing up, well, you probably learned more there than, than you ever could um, at a fancy school or anything like that. What, what's your go-to meal when all of you guys are together, not necessarily you know, filming an episode of the show? When, when you're all getting together, what's on the menu? Mm-hmm. It would normally be like a, a, a Charleston crab crack. That is something that is big in Charleston, especially in the Gullah community. We sit at a table. Um, usually outside or inside, depends on the person's house. <laughs> we we set it, sit at a table, we put newspaper down or paper or whatever, and we just kind of like throw bushels of crab that have been seasoned and stuff on a table and just go at it. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a dream. How, how much crab do you have to get to, to feed that big of a family? It seems like you, you've already got a lot of people around. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You would, would be like hundreds. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot. Uh, well, we've talked a lot about your family and uh, obviously you're now part of the Food Network family. Um, I'm wondering if you were, were you a fan of the network before you were on the network? Oh, yeah. Um, I watch Food Network and, and I'm a young girl watching Food Network at my leisure. You know, so while everyone else is watching like one Saturday morning and cartoons and stuff and I'm watching Food Network, I'm, you know, watching Emerald. Um, I remember watching, um, you know, Iron Chef and Big Daddy's House. And I remember watching the Neelys and, you know, like, so I, I grew up watching Food Network. It was always on my television as well as my mom's. <laughs> <laughs> and now um, you're also going to be a judge on the new season of Spring Baking Championship. So that's super exciting. Did you do anything special to prepare for that role? I, you know, I didn't. Um, uh, well, other than try to lose a little bit of weight because <laughs> I, I in preparation, because right, I knew I needed a little wiggle room um, for the endless amounts of cake that we ate every day. Um, but no, you know, I've always I haven't always been a baker. Um, I started in the, I would say in the past, you know, five or six years, really honing in on that craft of baking. And so because I've I've kind of prepared for it without knowing that I was preparing for it. Um, you know, I was already kind of like geared up and ready for for being a judge on on spring baking. And it, it was it was an, an absolute pleasure to be a part of, of the judges panel. What was it like getting to eat all of those desserts every day while filming? You kind of mentioned that you tried to prepare for it by losing some weight. Um, what was it like on a daily basis just getting to uh taste all those different treats it was i mean it was a blast i had fun you know eating cake all day long and i it got to the point where i was like okay i gotta push this plate back i gotta take princess bites because if <laughs> if i don't i've stop, never heard it called princess bites i princess love that bites, yes uh, it, it it was fun eating these different types of of cakes and and just seeing um firsthand the artistry that goes behind making these elaborate cakes and these entremets is a new word I learned. Uh, entremets, you know, like these. What is that? 
it's a pastry that is like a, several layers to it. Usually has a crunchy layer. Usually has some type of uh, mousse or something in it, and it's all engulfed in like this little dome thing. It's just amazing, absolutely amazing. I am an entremet fan now, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was really cool just trying those different uh, sweets on a daily basis and just seeing the creativity that that goes behind it. Yeah, how, how impressed were you? Just you know, seeing some of those artists in action. I, I say to this day, I, I probably could not do what they do. Um, so it was very different sitting on that side of the table versus being an actual contestant. Um, it, I just I just didn't know that you can make these things out of cake. You know, <laughs> I've seen it. I've watched the shows, but to see them do it and then the, then the amount amount of time that they have to do it too, just it's mind blowing. How did uh, you and the other judges uh, spend your time together behind the scenes? Like, give us a little bit of pull back the curtain moment, I guess, on on uh, what goes on behind the scenes when you're not, you know, when the cameras are not focused on you guys. Um, it was really fun working with uh, Duff and Nancy and Ollie. Um, they're just, you know, we just meshed really well. Um, being a newbie on the show, you know, they just welcomed me with open arms. I've known Nancy for years. Uh, she's just like everyone's grandma and she's like my grandma too. <laughs> uh, and it was just fun working with them. I mean, we were just really chilled and laid back and we had a lot of fun and there was a lot of banter that goes on between Duff and, and, and Nancy in a good way. They are just like you know, mother and son. So uh, coming into it was a, it was a really smooth transition, and they they are just we had a lot of fun. <laughs> just gonna say that we had a lot of fun. I, I have to imagine um, it would be a lot of fun, and and you bring you bring the fun as well as we've <laughs> talked about several times throughout this interview. I want to go back to your your psych degree uh, and just kind of talk about the the connection to food psychologically speaking, because you know food is something that is able to kind of transport you back to a specific memory, even like a certain smell can immediately, you know, trigger, you know, happy memories, sad memories, whatever it might be. Is there a taste or smell that brings back that type of memory for you? Mm. Depends on the the time in my life and what I was going through. (laughs) You know, know, I I do. I really do believe that there is a a connection with, you know, the mind and food and, and, um, you know, food is a common factor amongst everyone. I I don't care, you know, who you are, what religion you have, what race you're from. We all have to eat to survive. And we all majority of us love food. Um, So there are there are things that that remind me of home whenever I no matter where I am in the world if I you know if I smell like it's like comfort food for me is smelling like tomatoes cooking mm-hmm. uh stewing getting stewed down something about like a tomato soup or tomato bisque or something reminds me distinctly of my grandmother's cooking uh, if I smell like something like a meat being sauteed or onions or garlic or something like that it just just automatically gives me the sense of just like nostalgia I love that. I mean, I can, I can picture it. I'm just picturing it right now. Yes. The, the tomatoes <laughs> stewing on, on the stove or something like that. Um, but obviously, we, we don't love every single food on the planet. So if you could choose one food or flavor that you could just eliminate forever, what would it be? Olives. Olives. All of them? All, all of the, all, all all of the olives? <laughs> I did all not mean to do that. Olives. That is funny. Get rid uh, of all of them. I don't like olives at all. 
Okay. Okay. So no olives uh, when we're when we're coming to your house for, yes. for dinner. There, that will not be anywhere so, near any of the dishes. <laughs> I asked you about the the food that you can't stand. What about the one food that you could eat for the rest of your life? Shrimp. Shrimp. <laughs> shrimp. <laughs> I, just, I, I mean, any seafood for that matter, but shrimp, I. I, I gotta have it. One last question for you that we've been asking all of our guests here on Food Network Obsessed. Um, and that would be like, what is your perfect food day? Um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. It can be, you know, you can time travel. You can just travel in general. It, it can be somebody cooking for you, living or dead. It can be you cooking. What they're, Basically, what I'm trying to say, there's no rules. Mm-hmm. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. What what would you be going for and where? I, wow, okay. For breakfast, I have, I, I, I can't remember um, because I was very, fairly young when my great-grandmother passed away. Um, but, you know, still talking about shrimp here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have, I would love to have my great-grandmother's shrimp and grits. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my grandmother's and it's, it is the bomb.com, but I'm pretty sure my great-grandmother could definitely, you know, throw down with that. So I would love to, you know, be able to sit down with her and talk and, and eat that um, for lunch. Uh, right now, ooh, what would my perfect day for lunch would be? Mm, I would love a burger from mm. Oshavel in New York City. Oh yes, I have not had that one yet. It's it's a hard place to get into, but uh, I've heard amazing things about that burger. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! I have never ever eaten a burger that was just so. I mean, and it's it's not that it's like a lot on the burger. It's just like two patties, um, and it has like uh, you know American cheese and onions and uh, Dijonese, the Dijon and, and and mayo mixed together. Um, but I would love to have that. Um, Oh wow! Like maybe for like a dinner. Well, I'm trying to think about oh snack. There's there's snack somewhere. Uh, you can have a, throw a snack in there. Yes, throw a snack. <laughs> um, my perfect. Okay, so do I need to go somewhere for this snack or just? No, no, not no. There's no rules. No rules at all. Mm, my perfect snack. I love frozen grapes. I just oh, love okay. snacking on frozen grapes. So that would be a perfect snack for me. And for dinner, it would have to be. Uh, mm, I would say it would be a dinner prepared by my grandmother. Okay. Taking it back to family. I think um, that's some of the, I would say, the best eating of my life have, have come from my grandmother's kitchen. So having a, a dinner with my grandmother, and she should make one of my favorite <laughs> meals, and that would be okra stew. I love it. I love that you went back to family for, for the last meal. And what about dessert? Is that is that grandma making that as well? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> As the kids say, no shade to grandma, but um, there are several places that I love their desserts. So I'm trying to think. (laughs) (laughs) You can name you can name a couple. There's a uh, Italian restaurant in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to just I'm my gosh, I've been there several times and I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now, but they make a Oreo cheesecake. Oh, 
and it's made with mascarpone. It's it's divine. It's just I I actually drove from New Jersey one time to Washington D.C. just to eat that. There and back, it was like a th- it's like it takes like three hours to get there. But I from South Jersey to to, to D.C. and I drove there for that. So that would probably be. I wish I could tell you the name of the restaurant. And I don't know why I'm drawing this blank, but that Oreo cheesecake. Well, that sounds delicious. It sounds like a, a delicious uh, food day from the delicious Miss Brown. So <laughs> that is perfect and a perfect way to end this uh, podcast interview. But thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Uh, I think it is so fascinating and so inspiring for so many people. So keep doing keep doing what you're doing. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, yay. <laughs> Wow, she is a ray of sunshine and so inspiring as well. I love hearing people's journeys, but hers is especially interesting to me just because of the way and the path that she got to Food Network. Totally unconventional, but totally her. I can't wait to see more from Cartier and you can catch her on Delicious Miss Brown on Food Network Sundays at noon, 11 central. It really is the perfect Sunday afternoon show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a five star rating and and a nice review. And as always, thank you for listening. We will catch you foodies next Friday for another episode of Food Network Obsessed. 